So if you want to go ahead and turn to Acts 6, that's where we're going to get to in a couple minutes. I'll give you a lot of time to get there. So Acts chapter 6. So this week was really part two of the original one sermon. Uh, as I was originally planning last week, it was all going to be um, one sermon until like Thursday night of last week. And it kind of was like, wow, there's too much here. There's no way I'm going to get this all into one week. And so kind of a last minute change, which I've realized is extremely common. Uh, but you'll also notice last week was one of my shortest sermons ever, which is... One of, like, top three shortest, not that anyone's counting. Uh, wow, almost got an applause for that. Wow. Um, but so, just to catch, to catch you up on where we've been the last couple weeks, um, let me start off by saying, yesterday, I went, uh, I went to a class at ETSU. Uh, it was put on by the College of Business, Business and Technology, specifically for their inter, all their international students. Um, the College of Business and Technology has over half of the international students at ETSU. And as the International Admissions Counselor, I went to be a part of that. And the whole point of this class is to help these international students um, adapt to life in the, in the United States, to, to learn different cultural differences, to be aware of the differences, and um, to, to learn how to adjust. And really, the main thing they were talking about is cultural competencies. Um, ways that they can be competent in, in understanding the culture here. And one of the slides, the associate dean of the College of Business that was um, teaching this class was talking about the American individualism, how here in the U.S. we're very focused on individuals. Um, one thing that she had on one of her slides that I jotted down really quick, she said that Americans are not good at being members of a close-knit community. We prefer to operate as individuals. This is, this is very true. I mean, you look around at our world and we're very individualistic, specifically here in the United States. The way, look out for yourself, provide for yourself, be all you can be for yourself, look out for yourself first. And we see this all over this country. But that's not the church. And we've been kind of looking at different parts of the church. That like we, as the church, have been, have been saved. That, that, that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us who has equipped us to be a part of the body. To not, the Spirit doesn't indwell us to then equip us to go be free willy Christians, but to be a part of a family. And we talked about this, that, that the giftings of the Spirit, that that being knitted together as a part of the body of Christ is not just for super-Christians. It's not just for the spiritual elite. That this is for each and every one of us. So we've been talking about that. Two weeks ago, we talked specifically about that. Last week, we talked about not just how the church operates, but the, but the structure of the church. How there's the, the office of elder, the office of deacon within the church that, that God has established. And so I'm sure you remember everything that I said last week. Um, but for those of you that weren't here and wouldn't know, um, we talked about the, the God-given qualifications to be an elder. We kind of walked through those in Scripture. We talked about their function in the local church. We talked about their role here a little bit, but that, and we saw that God had designed there to be a plurality of elders in the local church, to be more than one pastor in every local church, and that God has put them there to, to shepherd the local flock, to, be, to care for the local flock, to teach, to instruct, to guard doctrine, to lead in all these different ways. 
Does anyone remember? There was one point I made last week that was like, if you get anything, get this. Don't forget this. What? Do you remember what that was? Wow. Anything? The one point? Some of you are here. All right, so the one point that I'm sure all of you are just too shy to say, one point I said over and over and over again was Christ is head of the church. This all belongs to him. This, is, this does not belong to the elders. This does not belong to the deacons. But this belongs to Christ, that he is in charge of this church. And that our biggest role as pastors, as elders, is to be under shepherds to the good shepherd, to point to the good shepherd who loves his sheep, who laid down his life for the sheep, who guards his sheep, who knows them by name. And that is our role as elders, to point to the good shepherd. And we said how all of this is for the glory of Christ. So last week I also said there's two offices in the church that we see in Scripture. We see the office of elder, but also the office of deacon. And what I want to do is kind of walk through that this week, and you're going to see that the structure for this week is going to look almost identical to last week, which is extremely rare. That I mean, basically going to walk through the qualifications for deacon, the role of deacons within the church. But then, just as last week, what I hope to show you is that Jesus is so much better. That the role of deacons in the church is pointing to someone so much greater and so much better. So again, hopefully I gave you plenty of time to be in Acts chapter 6. But even before we read that, what I want to do is give you a brief catch-up on the first five chapters of the book of Acts. Because I think it's going to be important to establish this before we get to Acts 6. In Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus has, has finished his earthly ministry. He's ascending back to heaven. And he tells the, the disciples there, he says, Stay here, stay and wait, because I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to come with power. And so, that's what we see in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit comes with power, and it's, and it's really awesome. If you ever get a chance to read through Acts 2, and use like excited, like sound really excited as you're reading it, I'm, I thought about really doing that, but time-wise I'm not. But read through chapter 2 and be really excited, because there's a lot of awesome things going on in chapter 2. I mean, Peter stands up and, and starts preaching. 3,000 people are saved. 3,000 people. I don't know if that's ever happened in one time since then. That's the only thing I can compare it to is like Billy Graham crusades growing up. And that was like Billy Graham crusade on steroids here. But, so we see that in chapter 2. But in chapter 3, we see some uh, miraculous healings going on. There's this, all this commotion that Peter and John end up getting arrested and then, as they get arrested, it points out 2,000 more people believed in Jesus and were saved. Peter and John are freed. Um, there's, all, there's all this stuff going on. Chapter 4 and chapter 2, we see that the body of believers is together. It says they have all things in common. They're devoting themselves to the teaching, of, to prayer, to breaking bread together. And then chapter 5, verse 12 and 14. I, I put this one on the screen. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in, in Solomon's portico. None of them dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So like in the first five chapters of Acts, the church is exploding. 
It is growing like crazy. There's amazing things going on. We saw first in Acts 1, there was 120 people. And then it goes to 3,000, then 5,000. Now it's just saying multitudes. There's tons of stuff going on. And that leads us to Acts chapter 6, where I want to start this morning. Because this is all happening as the church is exploding. There's just all sorts of crazy, amazing things going on. So I'm going to read Acts 6, 1 through 7. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Tamon, and Parmena, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. There, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So, the church is exploding, growing like crazy. But there's this issue that comes up. And it, it's easy to think, oh, that's just a small issue. But no, like, that's a major issue about to happen. There's like division going on because it says the Hellenists, which are the, like the Greek-speaking Jews. And there's this complaint going on that they're being neglected in the distribution. Their, their widows are. And, but look what the, or the apostles who are basically function as the leaders of that church, look at verse 2, what they say. It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So instead of just going and trying to devote their time and to fix the problem themselves, what they did is say, Alright, we want to get some other people together who can meet this need, who are qualified to meet this need, that can step up and do this. And it's really easy to, to read into that. As I quickly read through it, it's like easy to think that it's like the apostle saying, we're not going to do something lowly like that. We're not going to wait on tables. But that's not at all the point that is being made here. That's not at all the attitude which with, this is, with which this is written. Because what we're going to see as we continue on this morning, that that is the specific role, the specific roles of elder and deacon are different. Not different in importance, but different in function, different in, different in how God is designed. But almost every Bible scholar agrees that Acts chapter 6 is when we first see deacons arise in the New Testament church. This other office that we see um, in the local church. And, but look, look at verse 7. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So verse 1 starts out with this problem in the church, this division starting to occur within the church. But this story easily could have ended with, and the church divided, and now there was two churches going on. Like, this very easily could have been the division that occurs in the church. But what we see is, the, the apostles, with, with, with deacons. Now, there's, it's not a division that happens, but the church continues to multiply, it continues to grow. 
And so what I'm saying is that as a church, as we are obedient to what, how God has designed the church, like we want to be obedient to this. Because through it, I'd say that we all, as a part of this church, want to see the church grow and multiply and God do amazing things here. And we want to be obedient to the, the church structure that God has laid out. So, Acts chapter 6 is where we first start to see, where we first see deacons. That word that means servant or, or minister. And we see it other places in the scripture as well. But go ahead and flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 3 now. We were there last week, and I meant to mark it, and I did not. So 1 Timothy chapter 3. Last week we were there reading the qualifications of overseers. But we see in Scripture that it's not just, oh, anyone can be a deacon. There are specific qualifications just like there was for elders. I'm going to read verses 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for a dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons, that they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So it sounds fairly familiar. I mean, it's fairly similar to what we see with the qualifications for elder. Um, they're not starkly different, but we do see that in deacons there's not that qualification to teach. It has to be able to teach. That's the one we see left out. It says that deacons must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They have to be solid in the faith. They have to know salvation. They have to know Christ. But it doesn't say they have to be able to teach. It doesn't say they can't teach. Just that they don't, it's not a requirement. But I made the point last week that these qualifications are not, again, for some just super Christian level that then you get to deacon or then you get to elder. That these qualifications are what every single follower of Christ Based on, based on the rest of Scripture, that we're all called to that. It's not just only deacons are called to be like this, or only elders are called to be like this. All of us, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, be confident in our faith, not dignified, not slanderers. All these are qualities that, as followers of Jesus, we should be seeking to exhibit. So these aren't some crazy qualities, but not required for salvation but required for deacons. There are certain requirements for elders. But why, why are these required? What, why are these required to be in these positions? If you remember last week, although most of you didn't remember, that we, we said that all of this belongs to Christ, that all of this, that Christ is head of the church, that he is the one leading this, he is the one in charge. And all of what goes on in the church is for the glory of Christ. the leaders of the church, those representing the church, should also be pointing towards the glory of Christ with their character, with their lives. I read, it, I read this quote actually last week. Um, I read it when preparing for last week. But This guy said, Churches rarely grow past their leaders in character and mission or in obedience. 
It's kind of a scary thought. Kind of a scary thought. But that's why these qualifications are important. They're necessary. As the leaders of the church, all that we are doing is pointing towards the glory of Christ. Going on in qualifications. I said I was going to get into this more last week. I said last week I was going to get more into this this week. But last week, when talking about elders, when talking about pastors, I said that the role of elder, the role of pastor in the church, what we see in Scripture is that God has, has, has said that this role is to be for men. That, that, that men alone are to be pastors and elders of the church. That it's not because of, of any worth difference that God has created men and women differently. And, but not different in worth, not different in importance, just different in role, both in the church and in the home. And we see the role of elder being designated for men. Again, that's not saying that women can't serve in the church. But by God's design, he's, he's created us differently. But what about the role of deacon? What about the role of deacon? Is this the, is this the same way? Let's look at a couple things, and I'll show you why I believe and why we as the church believe that women can be deacons. Look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 11. 1 Timothy 3, verse 11. He's been talking about these qualifications. And he says, Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. I don't know if your Bibles include this, but there's a footnote that says that this word, it says their wives, can also be translated women. Women, likewise, must be and hold to these different things. And I'm not a Greek scholar. I know very little Greek. And I, by, by, by very little, I mean zero. But through study this week, that word there, it says their wives, that word there does not exist in the Greek. That word there is not even there. So it says wives likewise, or women likewise. On another note, when transitioning from elder, from overseers to deacons, he says deacons likewise must be dignified. That's in verse 8. Then he gets down to verse 11, their wives, the women, likewise. He uses that same transition there, which almost seems like a, a, a slightly different group of people. And again, we see that there's qualifications. If we read that as wives, there's qualifications for the deacons' wives, and it seems odd that there's not for the elders' wives, which based on the function in the church, it seems odd. And that's not a reason in and of itself, but I think that plays into the picture here. And you don't have to flip there, but in, in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, we see, I'm just going to read it for you. It should be on the screen. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kincre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been given a patron of, been a patron of many and of myself as well. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. Same word for deacon. Same exact Greek word for deacon. Some would argue that women cannot be deacons in the church because the Bible says that women can't have spiritual authority in the church. But I think if we're being obedient to Scripture in the role of deacons, that's not a role of deacons. It's not spiritual authority in the church. That is the role of the elders in the church. 
So all that the deacons are doing is under the, the spiritual authority of the elders. All that the, the deacons are doing in meeting needs, which we're going to see here in a second, as that word translates to servant, as minister. It's, it's, again, it's also important to talk about church structure because in some churches, churches are structured with the deacons holding more of a spiritually authoritative role. And while I believe that's not the design that I see in Scripture, churches that are structured this way, I think the women should not be deacons in those churches because their deacons are doing elder-like things. And I think you see that in a lot of churches today. My goal in this is not to give you a full argument on why women can be deacons. If you want to have that deeper conversation, that longer conversation, we could go for hours. But what I want to show you is just, a, just a, briefly, with the role of deacons in the church, which we're going to get into here in just a second, with the role of deacons, I see no biblical reason why women would be disqualified from this role. So what is that role? We, talk, we had talked a lot last week about the role of elders in the church. The Bible says a lot more about the role of elders in the church than it does the role of deacons in the church. There's a lot more. that We, we read through a bunch of them last week, as, as we flew through a bunch of them last week. But there's a lot more about elders than deacons. But think back to Acts 6. When, they were, when, when these individuals were first appointed to serve the church, they were appointed because there were physical needs that were not being met. So they were appointed to meet those needs. So David Platt, he refers to deacons as the leading servants in the local church. They lead others in serving the local church. They lead others in meeting physical needs. Like if you want just a broad description of the role of, of, of deacons, I, th I think that's it. Leading servants in the church. Leading others to meet physical needs in the church. If you think about various different commands in, in Scripture, you see the church is called to do all sorts of things. To hold fast to doctrine. To hold fast to the truth. To follow after Christ. As the sheep being led by their good shepherd. There's all sorts of commands as the church. There's also commands to meet physical needs. The Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that over and over and over again. The people of God are commanded to meet physical needs around them. The Old Testament sets it up to care for orphans, to care for widows, to care for the sojourner. We're going to spend a couple weeks talking about that in a couple, in a couple months, and I'm really excited for that. But... I believe the church should absolutely be involved in those types of ministries of, of caring for the orphan, of caring for the widow, of caring for the sojourner. But if you look at Acts 6, those are things that the apostles said. We can't devote ourselves to that. But, but the church is commanded to do it. Enter the role of deacons to lead in serving in those ways. Like, we see needs all through the church. Like, the scripture doesn't give us an exhaustive list of, these are all the needs that are going to arise in the local church. But they're far, they are wide. But deacons are called to meet these needs. And deacons also are called to serve in their role so that elders can serve in their role. Let me, let me explain 
as deacons meet needs in the church, physical needs that arise, elders are then freed to carry out their role as guarding the church, as shepherding the church, teaching sound doctrine, all of that. They go hand in hand because when the deacons aren't meeting need, aren't leading servants in the church, aren't leading and meeting those needs, then the elders are going to try to compensate and try to do too much of that and then not do their role and not be able to devote themselves to what God has called them to do. So as deacons meet physical needs in the church, elders are then freed up to do the most important parts of their role. Not that they're freed up to do the more important role, but they're freed up to do the more important part of their role. Make sense? I think that, I mean, just confession moment from, I'm going to scare them a little bit, a confession moment from the elders. I think that we've tried to do too much for a long time. I think that, that we have tried to spread ourselves extremely thin, trying to do so much, instead of saying, we can't do that. We need someone else to step up and meet that need. Because we can't do that. Especially with bivocational. We see that, that come into play so many more times. But I think that we as the elders need to do a continually better job of saying, we can't do that. But we need someone to step up to meet that need. But don't hear me say that you have to be a deacon in order to step up and meet a need. Because that's also not true at all. You don't have to have this title of deacon to be able to say, I can, I can meet that need. I can step up and do that. Because our three deacons, each one of them were already serving in that role before they had the title of deacon. Like each, all, all three of them. It wasn't that they were waiting on the sidelines, sitting back and waiting, and said, oh, I'm a deacon now, I can go do stuff. No, that's not at all what we see. We see people actively serving in the church and then almost being put on the title of deacon because this is what they're already doing. So, so don't hear this morning I say the deacons are the lead servants in the church. They're the ones meeting physical needs that you have to be a deacon to do those things. Not at all. Because it's almost like, as I said, leading servants in the church. They're leading others in serving the church. So we always say, like, I think proper, the way this plays out, I mean, just practically speaking, and we've talked to the deacons about that as we have these conversations, that when we say, hey, we see this need, someone needs to step up and meet this need, when we, when we hand that to the deacons, we don't mean, okay, deacons, you have to physically go and do those things. What we're saying is, it's in your hands now. It's in your hands to, to see that carried out. Maybe it's the deacons then asking for help from the rest of the church. Maybe it's the deacons calling and sending a text or a post on the realm and saying, hey, I need help doing this. But it's us continually handing things down. And, and it's the way the church seems to work very well. We've seen that when it happens like this, it happens pretty smoothly. And it's a reminder that that's how God has designed it. So meeting physical needs, meeting needs in the church is not just for deacons. But deacons are called to lead in serving in this way. But each and every one of us is called to be a servant. I really, looking at scripture, I've debated, other than like our role as sons and daughters of the king, like I don't know if there is a more biblical role than that of a servant. It's all over Scripture. And I can see it 
it's no clearly seen in the gospel. It's not more clearly seen anywhere else. Because let me remind you what the gospel is. The core of the gospel is that Jesus Christ became a servant and served us. Not that we served him. That he became a servant and served us. He met our biggest need. He gave of his life to do this. Because if you want to go ahead and start turning over to Mark 10, I invite you to do so. But it's often spoken of as though the call of Christians is to serve Jesus. That that's what we're supposed to be doing as followers of Christ. That we're supposed to serve Jesus. But I think there's a difference. I think we get confused a little bit. Because our first call as followers of Christ for salvation is not that we would come to serve Christ. But the message of the gospel is that Christ served us and gave of himself. Mark chapter 10. I used this in a, in a previous sermon recently. Is we have these disciples that are bickering over who's going to be greatest in his kingdom, who's going to sit on his right and, who, and who's going to sit on his left. And Jesus responds. He says, And Jesus called them to him and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And, and, the, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And give his life as a ransom for many. We don't serve Christ. He served us. He gave his life. He reconciled us back to God. He gave us hope when we had none. Listen to this quote. This is from Sam Storms. He says, Jesus did not come looking for people to work for him. He came to work for us. He came to serve us. Jesus didn't come to recruit you to meet God's needs. God has no needs. Jesus came to bring you the resources of God to meet your needs. He died to meet your needs. He rose to meet your needs. He reigns to meet your needs and make you happy in him forever. Do you see this? It's a, whole mindset, it's a whole mindset shift from like, we're obligated. We've got to do this to somehow make God love us. We've got to serve him. We've got to be part of the church so he'll love us. We've got to do enough. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Look at Acts 17. You don't have to flip there. It's going to be on the screen. Acts 17, 24 through 25. This is Paul preaching. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Like, this is our God. Doesn't need anything. Does not need to be served. Can accomplish whatever he wants to whenever he chooses to. God alone met our biggest need. Now listen, you hear that, the last quote. He said, He reigns to meet our needs 
and make you happy in Him forever. As we are happy in Christ, we're going to follow after Him. We're going to obey Him. We're going to do what He has called us to do out of love, and we love our relationship with Him. Because we're happy in Him, we're enjoying Him forever. Not out of this obligation that, oh, I've got to serve because I'm a slave. I've got to do this out of some obligation. That's not the gospel. That's not what we see. It's kind of crazy to think about because I think, especially having grown up in the church, it's, and it's not, I think it's just because I heard things wrong, but it's like, you've got to be doing this. You've got to be doing this. If you're, if you're a Christian, you're, you've got to do this, or, or you're not a Christian, you've got to do this. You're this, uh, this and then all of a sudden, serving the church, being a part of the church becomes obligation. It becomes proving to God why I'm serving. God, you saved me. I'm going to show you why you saved me. I'm going to show you why I was worthy of that. And so I'm going to be super active in the church. It's not the gospel. Jesus served us. He gave us what we did not have. Hope, life, salvation. This one's from John Piper. He says, The good news is that the radical call to Christian discipleship is not a call to serve Jesus, but to be served by Jesus as we serve others and to be ransomed by him from death. Let, let that sink for a minute. Let's just let, let that sink in. Do you find yourself serving because you feel like you have to? That you've got to continually try to do enough to please God? You've got to continually work harder to somehow show God, like, look what I'm doing. Aren't you happy? You saved me. Aren't you happy that you saved me? Because look at what I'm doing. 